The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Uh, it's Tuesday morning, everybody. Good morning to you. Uh, you're watching Scorebox with Aramelia Gamede and myself, Steve Sedgwick, and these are your headlines. So the Dow ekes out a fresh record ahead of today's pivotal inflation report, with CPI growth seen below 3%, potentially for the first time in almost three years. The CEO of Abu Dhabi's massive sovereign wealth fund tells CNBC there are strong opportunities stateside. The United States will remain, I think, a very attractive market. It's a hub for innovation. It's a hub for innovation. I think in that sense, difficult to compete with that. Arm shares jumped start the week, almost 30% higher, extending its post-earnings rally and further boosting key stakeholder SoftBank in Japan. Aston Martin Lagonda chair Lawrence Stroll dismisses suggestions the luxury car maker will need additional investment to hit its goals, telling CNBC the group is in a good position. We're on track to deliver, and it's really taken us the last three years to put deep-rooted foundations and all the building blocks in place for the future, which is starting now. And the EU's foreign policy chief hits out at Donald Trump's remarks on NATO, saying the group can't be an a la carte alliance, while German Chancellor Olaf Scholz says he expects the US to honor its commitments. We stick to it. The President of the United States sticks to it. And I'm sure the American people will do so also. Following what has been an upbeat start to the year, well, we just saw a bit of a mixed one then yesterday, but wasn't too downbeat, though, for the Dow Jones Industrial, as the 30-stock Dow actually hit a record high then uh, in yesterday's trading, sitting then at 38,797 to close off the day's trading, up a third of a percent. A bit of slippage, though, for the S&P 500 and the Nasdaq Composite following uh, those gains we have seen, of course, uh, pretty recently. The S&P 500 even still closing above that 5,000 mark, uh, 5,000 point mark, despite the near five-point fall than uh, yesterday we saw there. We have, of course, now seen 10 new highs for the Wall Street uh, S&P 500 index then just this year alone. But is that rally broadening out is the key question mark as well. And where do the opportunities lie? That's what we'll get into. On the earnings front, of course, we still have the likes of Coca-Cola, toy maker Hasbro, also said to put out its earnings, Marriott International, also to report numbers then today. Uh, on to the treasuries then. Well, we saw yields actually go slightly lower. Investors perhaps looking ahead to the key economic data point out today, that being inflation numbers then out of the United States. Uh, there were fresh Comments, of course, from Fed officials, which could provide some hints as well for rate outlook and what exactly that means. Could we see those rate uh, cuts then happening 
in May, uh, perhaps, for this market. The 10-year yield was last down around two basis points, still sitting at 4.1793. The more rate-sensitive uh, two-year yield at 4.472 uh, was lost up around, or rather slipped even three basis points yesterday to that mark now, just a little bit higher thus far. On to the dollar crosses then. The dollar edged higher against the euro uh, is yesterday and other major currencies, investors bracing for that U.S. CPI print, as I've made note of. Plus, you have PPI and retail sales then still coming out this week. That retail sales number out on Thursday. You might find that uh, investors will look towards that consumer data to kind of give a clearer sense of how the U.S. consumer is looking uh, as well across the United States. Dollar yen still in and around that 149 mark uh, is where we're currently seeing it. Both the pound and the euro had been fairly resilient uh, with officials pushing back on those rate cuts. But uh, you're seeing then uh, a little bit of weakness filter through at this time. Asian markets, well, Hong Kong and China still closed uh, in a lot of this trade. So Japan is pretty much where we look primarily. The Nikkei 225 is up nearly 3% in this early morning uh, trading picture. Corporate goods prices rising 0.2% uh, in Japan, uh, beating the 0.1% expected for the month of January. The Nikkei popping there past 37,000 points towards 38,000, uh, it seems, even at this stage. Australia's ASX now facing what is a third day of losses across that index. Steve. Uh, thank you very much indeed for that, Arabile. Right, let's uh, get to the main event. The U.S. consumer inflation expectations remained largely steady in January. The New York Fed's latest survey showed most Americans see inflation unchanged at 3% in one year. That is the, uh, the headline figure, by the way. We should look at the core as equally, if not more so important, or even the core core, which is even more important for the Fed's uh, looking at this in terms of uh, rate moves next. Anyway, coming down to 2.5% for the headline in five years. Sentiment around the labor market also increased with respondents forecasting year ahead expected earnings growth of 2.8%. That is above December's 2.5% reading. Investors, as I say, are turning attention to the release of official U.S. inflation data later today. Most analysts are expecting headline figures to fall below 3% for the first time in nearly three years. We'll come back to this. Uh, SoftBank, meanwhile, has moved as much as 11% higher in Tokyo trade, hitting its highest level in almost three years, on the back of a sustained rally in Arm Holdings, which has seen its stock price almost double since it reported earnings last Thursday. Double since it reported earnings. Just taking a step back, does this mean the analysts are completely inept at pricing this one? Does this mean the sponsors of the IPO were completely inept at getting the right price? I'm just chucking it out there because nobody saw this coming, did they? Uh, SoftBank's stake in the chip designer has increased by more than 60 billion dollars in value since that day. Quite extraordinary. Right, let's go back to the markets more broadly. Arno Giro is the head of economics and cross-asset strategy at Kepler Chevrolet. Arno, I loved your note this morning, so thank you very much indeed for it. The one that the team uh, provided me, what can stop this train? Uh, and it's got very um, succinct parts to it, three parts to it. And the most important part is it, we need to ask what is first of all driving this train uh, of the market going high. Why don't you talk us through that? Good day to you, sir. Hey, good morning. Thanks for having me, guys. 
Well, I think uh, there are several items, but uh, you know, recently I thought that was very instructive for me to to talk to uh, I would say wealth managers as opposed to the traditional institutional long only investor. And what you realize that uh, there is an appetite for AI that is uh, beyond imagination. Um, so that's what's driving the market, you know, essentially AI, AI, AI. And uh, we are now in the process of creating a monster because those uh, magnificent seven stocks now, plus a few others are now starting to be huge in terms of uh, their uh, market cap growth contribution to the overall index growth. The other thing that is behind that though, because of course it's not only speculative, I would say, is that the US consumer uh, is definitely uh, supporting that trade by helping lots of those big techs to report very, very strong earnings. So I would say it's a combination of uh, speculation in the future, you know, excitement about new technologies and, the, you know, how those companies are going to extract productivity gains and uh, the U.S. consumer. Um, okay, I'll, I'll park the U.S. consumer for one moment as well. I mean, it's, it's, it's quite clear that we can judge what they're doing based on their employment and their household wealth at the moment. So that, that, that's less contentious. But you, you mentioned um, creating a monster beyond imagination and speculation. All of that sounds quite worrying to me, but should I be worried? Well, as as a lot of, uh, uh, I would say, right investors have been saying up to now is, look, uh, these companies are very profitable, generate a lot of cash, strong balance sheets, uh, they keep innovating. So why should we worry, you know, valuation levels? are, I would say, uh, still uh, in a range that uh, if you compare that to his recent history with COVID, for example, is still within that range. So why would you worry uh, so far? You know, and I think the, these these investors have been have been right. You know, um, now the the question is really again. Uh, well, going back to the U.S. consumer, where, where is that heading? You know, uh, that's a, a big question mark. I remind you that just a couple of weeks ago we were talking about a soft lending, not a no lending. So in theory, the, the consumer's stance is is supposed to to I would say slow down a little bit, uh, and then on AI itself. I think that uh, we will get a reality check at some stage, uh, probably later in the year. You know, it's it's always the way market works. You know, they they buy ahead and and then you have a bit of reality check. So now any kind of small negative news can be can be read very very negatively in the space of the Nvidia's of this world. Yeah, I know. Good morning to you. Then, um, do rate cuts change anything in, in this regard, particularly when you see? that train as you speak towards because you know maybe you start cutting interest rates particularly in the u.s because maybe there are signs then later on of a weaker economy we aren't seeing that right now but could that be at play a little bit later on when the fed does begin to cut well that's another thing you're right that can also stop a little bit uh, this 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 train which is again purely driven by AI and there's nothing else that interests investors at this stage. So if you give them other reasons to look at something else, of course they will do. And one one thing is diversification away 
from uh, just US uh, US tech. And then on that, I mean, you, you're right that, uh, you know, if the disinflationary story keeps uh, going on as planned, this is our scenario, I would say that the, then the Fed can start cutting interest rates and, and the dollar strength will ease. And that gives a, a, an incentive to people to look a bit uh, outside of the US for, for investing where you still have decent uh, opportunities, I would say, from a valuation perspective. Uh, so that's uh, that's that's key, uh, I would say, this 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 timing on the, on the Fed cuts and how much they will cut. So the inflation uh, data point today is is of course it is interesting. It is important to 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 monitor that. Yeah, you speak about looking outside the U.S. then as well. Um, one, where would you look? And does that mean you believe uh, perhaps in the broadening out then of that market as well? I mean, we saw industrials hit that 52-year high uh, that they hadn't hit in the last five years as well. Uh, you had healthcare move to record highs, communication services up. Uh, does that broadening as well keep going? Yes, remember that uh, what you saw at the very beginning of December is that when the Fed decided to pivot, you start to show, you, st- you start to see, you start to see a broadening of the market towards smaller caps. Uh, you started to see uh, a lot of uh, regional markets outside the US do better. Uh, think about China, you know, they have a property crisis to manage as long as the uh, dollar remains as strong with high rates. I think it's going to be difficult for them to cut uh, a lot interest rates and yet they are in deflation. So a lot of things will, will st- I mean, a lot of pieces to the puzzle will start to assemble themselves and, uh, and we can look a little bit uh, outside of just uh, the, 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 those uh, eight or nine, ten, that are driving this technology uh, revolution. Every single technology revolution up till now, Arno, has led to this very exciting cycle where people just need to get on board, hence your conversations with the wealth managers. And then eventually the, the technology becomes commoditized, where lots of other players comes in, whether it's picks and shovels, whether it's applications down the line as well. Is this going to be the same or is this one going to be different? And I, and I hate to say, is it different this time? Because most of the time it proves not to be. You're right. You're making a very interesting point is that when companies usually make incredible returns, you know, things uh, get in the way, you know, whether that's uh, competitors innovation, uh, whether that's a regulator stepping in. Um, and, uh, and we will see what it is this time, whether that's uh, antitrust concerns. You know, nobody really believes in that, but, uh, you know, you have, you have an interesting uh, case on that because uh, these companies are building infrastructure. And uh, and there is a price you're going to charge to people for those infrastructures. So who's going to set the price? Uh, nobody can replicate their model at this stage. You cannot compete with them. So so that's you know that's a risk that uh, this time it plays out through the uh, antitrust or regulatory uh, landscape. Or, you know, uh, no, nobody knew, uh, you know, OpenAI uh, just a year ago. Huh? So so you can have also uh, uh, people with huge ambition, a great innovation, and uh, people that are at this stage in their garage uh, building uh, the next revolution and uh, the new competitors to, to the incumbents. So you're right that this is usually the traditional cycle and uh, you usually don't make that, you know, those very, very high returns forever. Um- Oh no, just very quickly, just uh, to change tack and talk about your upgrade then for luxuries, uh, moving that uh, up to overweight, particularly across Europe. Is that the, the belief in that premiumization story or that people begin to step up in terms of their uh, purchases then on the consumer front? 
Well, this story that you're mentioning, I think it is a constant, I would say, uh, that uh, these very, very uh, uh, high premium, you know, high-end brands, you know, set the price of their products. They are in short supplies and and they are structural growth stories. And I think this has run, you know, uh, very, very well already for the last 12 months. I think our view on luxury is more, if you like, that... Uh, this is a sector which is purely a European-led uh, sector or niche uh, where we have an expertise um, and hence where global portfolio managers are really eager to step in uh, because they will not find those stocks elsewhere. So they tend to be structurally looking for buying this sector because it's an earnings compounder. Um, and so we wanted to be back to an overweight uh, on the sector. Now, why now? I think the question is first, uh, we have a window where um, the sell side has been extremely cautious and warning investors about the very difficult first half of the sector. So we have a window where somehow stocks can take bad news and you started to see that very clearly. And the second thing is we have a China uh, story, you know, because Chinese economy right now is falling off a cliff. I mean, or put it differently, the worst thing is, is is getting you know worse by the day. So they need to do something, and they need to do something very very big quickly. So who's going to benefit from that? Uh, well, you know potentially the luxury sector. And keep in mind that a lot of investors cannot touch China anymore directly. So this is one of the sector that could implicitly benefit from that. Arno, appreciate the time this morning. Some interesting thoughts there. Thank you so much for uh, chatting to us then this morning. Arno Giraud is the head of economics and cross-asset strategy at Kepler Chevron. Now, the governor of the Bank of England has said that low stock market valuations for Britain's major lenders remain a puzzle, given UK banks have bounced back from a turbulent few years and are safer investments than they were before 2008. Bailey also said the central bank is now seeing signs of an upturn in the UK that economy. Is absolutely extraordinary. It is. Uh, the thing that's extraordinary to me is, and again, I, I, I had a thoroughly lovely conversation with Andrew Bailey two weeks ago. It's, it's fun. Let me read that sentence again that Arabile just read. The governor of the Bank of England has said that low stock market valuations for Britain's major lenders remains a puzzle. Now, I haven't seen what he actually said, but if he did say that, the governor of the Bank of England, this key central banker in the United Kingdom, talking about the stock market value of stocks? I thought, I think they're a bit cheap. Is that what, that, that's what I'm intoning from that. Oh, yeah, they're a bit cheap. I don't get it. It's like, really? Now, he can talk about the strength of the balance sheets. Yeah. He can talk about the strength uh, of their broader um, at the economic situation which the banks are feeding into. Yeah. But Which actually, talking, talking about stock market valuations, I mean, yeah. again, I need to do some work on that one as well. But if that is exactly what he said, I find that absolutely extraordinary. I wonder if we've extrapolated one thing and he actually said another. But we'll check because that is amazing. Mm. Going into uh, a different part of, of perhaps something that isn't naturally in his purview uh, in this one. We'll see. We'll certainly take a look at this one. Now, ECB executive board member uh, Piero Cipollonia has uh, said there is no need for the ECB to dampen the eurozone economy in order to get a grip on inflation. And that's because demand is already weak. His comments come as policymakers signal interest rates could be lowered this year, but only if price pressures fall toward its 2% target. Now, coming up on the show, we'll take a closer look at travel over the holiday period 
That's what the deep dive on Tui's earnings just after the break. Plus, U.S. allies condemn former President Donald Trump's remarks about allowing Russia to attack NATO members that don't spend enough on defense. We'll have more on that later this hour. Plus, we'll then discuss the outlook for the luxury beauty sector. That's what the president of L'Oreal Lux. Tune into that interview at 9.15 CET. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com. Welcome back. Look at this. Shares of JetBlue surged in extended trade after activist investor Carl Icahn revealed a near 10% stake in the airline, calling the stock undervalued. Uh, Icahn, who built the uh, stake in a series of purchases in Jan and Feb, said he plans to hold discussions with the company over a potential board seat. In response, the airline has said it was open to constructive dialogue. Just a quick recap of some earnings that uh, hit the tape then at the top of the hour. Then uh, German leisure travel and tourism company TUI Group having reported their numbers then for the first quarter of 2024. Their quarter being from the 1st of October then to the 31st of December. Just pointing to revenue then having gone up 15%, 1.5 to 4.3 billion euros then in the first quarter of 2024. 3.5 million travelers uh, in, uh, in, uh, or traveled, guests traveled with TUI then in the first quarter of 2024. So that is up 6% year on year, underlying that uh, there is still some growth in traveling uh, continuing, uh, particularly in this sector. They point to winter bookings going up 8%, summer bookings around the same as well, uh, average prices also going up year on year. So there's still some uh, something to say then when it comes to these numbers. Aneta, when you look at this, it points to them saying, well, they believe that there's still some growth. They uh, aim to achieve in medium term average EBIT growth of around 7 to 10 percent. So still believing then that uh, the consumer will come back to continue their travel despite a higher inflationary environment. Yes, the consumer is actually coming back all these years after the corona pandemic was over. So we had very strong growth in the tourism sector for TUI. The problem with the shares is not that people don't travel. It's more the uh, entertainment parks um, elsewhere. It's TUI amusement, as they call it. They are posting a big loss and also market and airlines are still loss making. That is a drag on the shares um, for now. But if you look at the three months horizon, for example, then the shares are up more than 30%. So I, we, I probably would suggest to see it more of a restructuring story and the market needs to believe that they're able to turn around the business on a sustainable basis and also the loss-making units to turn them around. Uh, loss per share is much lower than expected. The market was expecting roughly 54 cents. Now they're only 
uh, having posting only a loss of 24 cents. The same holds true for the revenue line. The revenue line is better than expected. Revenue was was expected at 4.14. Now it's sitting at 4.3 billion euro for the first uh, quarter. And also the outlook, they're confirming it. Um, and they're saying that they're seeing a strong um, summer bookings up by 8% year-on-year. We don't yet have a pre-market indication for the shares. I'm still waiting for the first quote on Lang and Schwartz, how the market segment is called in Germany. But it looks that the market has been expecting less and um, TUI is actually over-delivering in terms of the number set. Today will also be an important day for the company. It's their annual AGM in Frankfurt, where they will decide about the, or shareholders will decide about the delisting in the UK, which then could mean that TUI could enter the MDAX as soon as April this year. And that could give the shares another boost because there are many trackers who are, um, who need to then replicate their portfolio with the shares. So there's loads of movement, but a re- organization or refocus on the German market because 75% of the shareholders are German. That's the rationale why they look into the delisting in the UK and bringing the, the listing only to Germany, which also would mean they save a lot of costs. Okay, very interesting. Thank you very much indeed for that. Uh, Annetta, you booked any, You wouldn't book summer flights in the summer holidays, would you? Any, only a fool who would do so if they haven't got a family yeah, in you, the school you holidays. You have to do it in the winter, right? Like now. I have right booked now. my summer holiday. It was eye-wateringly horrible. <laughs> oh, it was eye-wateringly horrible. And I, I mean, I would assume more than, more than usual. Yeah. Right, because just yeah. everything from inflation to yeah. where you're going now as yeah. well being slightly different. Yeah. Everything about it was dreadful. Oh boy. I'm, I'm sure my family would be very grateful. <laughs> Rolls eyes. <laughs> All right, let's get into the luxury space then with the luxury car maker and Formula One team Aston Martin adding three new cars to its lineup an F1 car, sports car, as well as a race edition which will be headed to Le Mans in 2024. Now, they were all announced at Silverstone yesterday. Chairman Lawrence Stroll says that F1 has had a transformative impact on their brand, bringing in new customers and driving a reappraisal of their products. I also went on to then ask the Aston chair about electric vehicle plans and challenges facing the business. We haven't felt any geopolitical factors or any um, any effect from what's going on around the world in, in, with the conflicts. Um, we, we have had our issues delivering some new product to market, which took us a month or two longer than we anticipated, uh, like traditional other OEMs. But uh, no, everything is on track. You know, our life really started first when we launched our DBX, which, as you know, we took 20% market share in the luxury high-performance SUV market. That's become a significant portion of our business today. That was our first on our building blocks. The second on our building blocks was to deliver all our new front engine sports cars, which we're doing. We delivered our fantastic DB12, as I mentioned, April, May last year with Vantage tonight. And the finale will be our next latest, greatest front engine sports car by the end of this year, followed by a full PEV program, followed by a full BEV program. So we're on track to deliver. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news, you can head to cnbc.com or join us again on the show with me, Steve Sedgwick, and Karen Cho, weekdays on CNBC.